0: One of the lessons I've learned in martial arts is that standing still is asking to be hit. If you stand still in business, your competition is gonna catch up. I start each morning practicing martial arts because it brings me balance and focus. And I wanna know how others stay motivated as well. So join me for conversations on business, innovation, and entrepreneurship. I'm Dan Schulman. Welcome to Never Stand Still. On today's episode of Never Stand Still, I'm joined by Senator Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin. A lifetime public servant, Senator Baldwin was first elected to political office at the young age of 24. Working her way through the ranks, in 2013, she became the first woman ever elected to the U.S. Senate as a representative for Wisconsin and the first openly LGBTQ senator in American history. Through her years of service, she has been instrumental in highlighting economic issues for Wisconsin and champion worker empowerment and entrepreneurship. Senator, it's a pleasure to have you here.
1: It's a delight. Thank you so much.
0: You know, I was talking earlier, Senator, you have such an inspiring story. And um, this is going to be a real treat for our viewers and our listeners to be able to learn from all you've done in your career and the way that you've gotten there. Because your life story is starting from a very early age and the issues you faced with your mom Uh, being raised by your grandparents, uh, coming down with an illness that put you in the hospital for three months, and then your grandparents not being able to, you know, to um, declare you for, you know, for medical assistance because you weren't a direct dependent. I mean, these things have been, um, and then you're a caretaker of your grandmother as well. Yeah. And then you went into public office at the early age of 24. Can you talk uh, to me about kind of how that childhood of yours and the things you overcame sort of maybe guided you into this public servant career that you have right now?
1: Absolutely. So um, I will. I have vivid memories of my childhood illness. It was, you know, obviously a. Uh, Uh, traumatic incident for a child. I had something similar to spinal meningitis. That wasn't the exact diagnosis, but the symptoms and severity were pretty similar. And, um, you know, my grandparents didn't burden me with any discussion of the financial situation. When I was ill, they were just there by my side rooting me on. But I later learned that the family health insurance policy that my grandfather had through his work... Um, you know, didn't cover grandchildren. It covered legal dependents, you can imagine. And I'm not quite sure how it was resolved, if any of the bill was forgiven, if the insurance pitched in for some. But I do know that my grandparents um, sacrificed a lot and paid. uh, And then they said, let's fix this. Let's get our insurance. I was then, despite the fact that I was fully recovered, I was labeled as a child with a preexisting health condition. Mm. Um, And... They really struggled to find insurance at any price, and uh, fortunately I was healthy throughout my later youth, and I finally got insurance in college when there was a group plan that was available. Mm -hmm. But I looked back on that and felt that no grandparents or foster parents or parents should ever have to have that worry.
0: Yeah, of Uh, course.
1: Yeah. You know that, it, and it's sort of you know. Do we delay care? Maybe the child will get better, um, but you worry about that. Or do we potentially face bankruptcy?
0: Right, of course, from paying yeah. out of
1: pocket and impact the whole family, maybe the siblings and other. So yep. it's just a untenable position, and I, uh, I certainly. Um, it's a huge part of what I, I was called to public service. Uh, I also feel that there were other experiences, uh, it, chief among them, uh, middle school student council, uh, where <laughs> where I began to learn I that. I was in middle school student
0: council too. Yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, people uh, saw leadership potential yep. and mentored me. And I realized that by being involved, you could, have an impact. You could make things better, and so connecting those dots, I I ran for the county board at a time when counties in Wisconsin were involved in the healthcare issue, uh, predominantly for the very poor, the yep. indigent, and uh, and you know I got to work immediately on those issues.
0: It must have been so satisfying to be able to finally try and make a difference on that. It, and you've been now in politics for a while, and you've seen a tremendous amount. Um, You've seen kind of how our system has evolved, probably in some good ways and probably in some ways that were unforeseen. My favorite quote about democracy is that democracy needs to be more than two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner, right? So to (laughs) me, that's like... It it just says that democracy, you need to rise above your own self-interest for it to flourish. And I'm wondering, as you've seen um, these various twists and turns along the way, what's changed along the way? Where are we right now uh, within, um, as you look at our political system?
1: Oh, boy. So much has changed on so many different dimensions, but... um, if I uh, sort of take what I've seen in the um, bodies that I've served in, um, we have slowly become more diverse in the legislative bodies that mm-hmm. I've served in. Yeah, and you're talking about you know two wolves and a sheep. Yeah, um, what's really helpful is that as legislative bodies become more reflective of their constituencies, you have more voices at the table. And there's lots of political expressions about why a seat at the table is important. But I would say predominantly because we bring our life experiences with us. So I'm informed by uh, my childhood illness and my family's struggles around that. I'm informed by... uh, uh, life as a you know a young woman growing up at a time when women were becoming much more visible in positions of leadership. I will still never forget watching Geraldine Ferraro uh, oh, accept yeah. the nomination. Yeah. That was the year I graduated from college, uh-huh. and so it was a big deal. I had yet to land my first job, and there she was taking the stage at the convention yeah. to make her speech. And I thought to myself. I can do, I can do anything. There's, you know, the sky's the limit. Right. And, uh, and so it, we have, um, as we become more diverse in business, in uh, politics, um, we bring our life experiences, but we also become role models for others to look to, to say, um, you know, a, a young person saying, well, maybe I could do that. Or maybe yeah. I'm more powerful than I think.
0: Yeah. Well, I think um, my favorite saying around uh, diversity is that diversity is a fact, but inclusion is a choice. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that um, we still have such a long way to go Mm -hmm. before we're really inclusive. Um, I think that's true in the political arena. I think that's definitely true in the business arena. And I think it's a bit of a shame because I think the more diverse and inclusive a team is, the better they perform. Mm-hmm. Because to your point, they reflect, you know, your constituency, you know, for businesses that would be the customers that you're serving. Absolutely. Um, in politics, it's your constituents that you're trying to serve. You just have a, a better level of empathy. How do you think we get to a place that, is more inclusive in the political realm. Because I think um, we've made a lot of great strides, but I feel like there's so much more that we can still do.
1: Yes. Uh, So to to mark uh, that progress, when I was first elected to the county board in 1986, there were probably a couple dozen openly LGBTQ elected officials in the world. Um I know that there was a
0: uh interesting yeah,
1: yeah th- th- there was an annual meeting that was started uh, a year before I was first elected to office uh so that people could get together and collaborate and share best practices and how to make legislative progress on LGBTQ civil rights issues and fight yeah. discrimination and that first conference that I got to attend in 1986 had I think, 14 participants, and then we are trying to count all of the folks who
0: we had heard about who weren't able to make the trip.
1: And um, it included one member of the British Parliament, so we called ourselves an international (laughs) conference of 14 people. (laughs) Um, Today, that same group meets still annually, and it's several hundred. But, boy, if you think about how many political elective offices there are, it's in the tens of thousands, so nowhere close to representative. Um, As we look at the issues we've made progress on, I I think about your comments in in terms of uh, businesses purposefully um, becoming inclusive. Um, Sometimes we've seen policy progress go more rapidly in the business sector, and then we'll take some leaps forward in the you know, in, in government, and then they'll come to a halt and we'll see, again, uh, uh, business-informing um, uh, political leaders of, of what should be done and what's good for America and what's good for, for our economy. Um, and uh, as we, for example, strive to pass uh, the Equality Act, which would provide protections on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity in employment, housing, public accommodations, education, et cetera. Often we point to institutions, educational institutions and businesses who have been leaders and been able to show America that this is good for business, just like passing the Equality Act would be good for America.
0: Yeah. I think that's a great point. It's interesting. I, um, you, you probably um, know, um, when HB2, House Bill 2 in North Carolina, uh, was passed, we were about to open a pretty major um, uh, operations center in Charlotte, uh, employing more than 400 people. And when that bill was passed, um, we withdrew um, because we just couldn't like part of our values are about inclusion. We have an expansive mission to democratize financial services, and it just was just anathema to what we stood for. And I really feel like values can't hang on a wall; you have to act on them. Right. What was really interesting, we we pulled out. There was a, a lot of backlash as a result of that. I got several death threats um, that happened, and it really exposed me to just some of the divisive nature of our of our country. But what was interesting, and to the point you were just making, is I met Eric Holder um, several months later. Um, and um, and he basically said to me when we met, is like, your actions spurred us as the Attorney General to really look into this. And to your point, like business and uh, private and public sectors coming together on these very important issues... I think are critical and we can reinforce each other on those.
1: You're absolutely right and I've seen that happen so frequently. Uh, When I previously served in the House of Representatives, uh, oftentimes we were uh, fighting defensive battles, not um, uh, necessarily uh, introducing new legislation and pushing it forward, but just as you describe HB2, you know, there were fights like that in the Congress of the United States, but to be able to go to a member who, um, uh, wasn't inclined at first to do the right thing and cite all the businesses in their districts that had, it was really helpful.
0: Yeah. interesting it's a little lonely when you're the first as you as you know um and but for for me what was really gratifying was to see you know first Bruce Springsteen cancel his performance and then the NBA the NCAA Mm -hmm. uh other banks started following and you know to your point I guess once you start something going you know others start to come in and you can it can be powerful and you've been a first in, in so many ways, how has your being a role model um, sort of impacted how you lead, how you legislate, how you carry yourself? Because I know so many people look up to you.
1: Um, it's very interesting because one of the things I want to tell other leaders is um, you may not get the opportunity, as I have on occasion, to actually hear from the person you inspired, yeah. who writes you a letter, tells their story, but our leadership has ripple effects, and I, I, want, um, I want others to know that folks are watching and that that's an important aspect of their, um, their public life, uh, It's not something you're always conscious of. You're doing your job. You're advocating for your constituents in politics. Um, And then for me, I'm occasionally reminded by getting one of those letters that just takes your breath away. I remember one of the first ones I got when I was in the House of Representatives of a young, um, it was a, a... High schooler in a rural communi- community in Illinois, south of the Wisconsin border. And he had always been interested in public service. He wanted to be the student representative on the school board, and he was coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. And to his, um, you know, some members of his family were very um, unsupportive, um, hostile even. Mm-hmm. And he thought, all of his dreams were perhaps coming to an end, and he was depressed and also uh expressed to me in his letter that um that suicide had crossed his mind and you know you you hear something like that and but anyways, this is the early internet age back yeah, way yeah. back then, and he came across me when he was um googling something and um oh my goodness, um there's an openly lgbt congresswoman and she's from Wisconsin, you know, she's not from
0: where my you're... life isn't necessarily over. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: And, um, and he wrote me, um, we ultimately spoke on the phone and, um, it, it, you, know, I, I realized, uh, that it, that it mattered. Uh, and, uh, I, I do think about, um, that responsibility yeah. and, uh, you know, but I would say to others, you may not get a letter that's as inspiring as as this young man's story, um, but people are watching, and people do um, they listen when people stand up for what's right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I just gave the uh, commencement speech at Rutgers University, and uh, I said in that, never underestimate your power to make a difference. Exactly. Yeah. Because I think every one of us can make a difference. Even if it's in a small way, yeah. it actually really matters. I know you often uh, are a champion for small business um, as well. It's near and dear to my heart as the CEO of PayPal as well. When you talk to small businesses in Wisconsin, what are the things that are on their minds? What do you talk to them about? How can you help them?
1: Uh, well, one thing I would say, just taking the broad look, is um, we've had challenges in Wisconsin in terms of entrepreneurship and creation of small businesses. Um, There's the Kauffman Foundation does its review, and we've come in uh, pretty close to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so that's concerned me a lot, because I know that uh, small businesses do most of the hiring, create most of the new jobs. Uh, we see the big numbers when there's an announcement of someone coming in, but, um, so, you know, certainly part of that is the issue of investment, um, and access to, uh, capital. Um, I have, uh, endeavored to be a, a champion for small businesses, both with regard to access to that um, early uh, capital to get things off the ground, but also uh, in terms of how our tax code uh, deals with startups, yep. um, uh, championing the idea that a lot of folks put a whole bunch of investment in Prior to opening the door for business or commercializing yeah. uh, their their invention, their product, and uh, we need to we need to recognize that um, in our tax code, um, especially uh, you know we have to we have to reward hard work uh, as much as we do uh, wealth in our yeah. current yeah. Uh, uh, newly written tax code yeah yeah Yeah.
0: well wisconsin is so fortunate to have you advocating for them um
1: you know and i I think about uh how many of our now really big businesses started out
0: as small businesses
1: yeah um you know mr harley and mr davidson
0: right (laughs) right right Right. exactly i mean here's the thing like every business starts out as sort of an idea and one or two people and they're taking risk and it's scary, and then some make it, some don't, but you're being an advocate for kind of the issues that Mm -hmm. make it so hard to start those businesses. But as you said, they are sort of the lifeblood of our communities, of our neighborhoods. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So if you were giving advice and counsel, because people ask me this question all the time, to young aspiring leaders Mm -hmm. um, who, and it could be a leader of, of really anything that they may want to do given all of your life lessons like what counsel and advice would you give somebody who's thinking about how do i take that next step forward i so
1: the simplest piece of it is just do it yeah right i i Told you about my earliest memories of being interested in public service dating back to middle school. Um, In in college, I studied government, uh, and then I uh, was back in Madison. And I think I joined, you know, four or five advocacy organizations. (laughs) Um, There were some municipal elections going Mm on. The Year after I graduated, uh, I volunteered. I was like, let's dig in, let's see what's happening. I used to uh, actually attend and monitor the county board meetings. Perhaps because I couldn't afford cable TV (laughs) yet for this, (laughs) Um, where I could have watched it. But I I remember one of the county board supervisors coming up to me saying, are you a journalist? Because you're like always here in the audience. And No, I'm following a couple of issues that I feel really passionate about. And I had that moment, which um, aspiring leaders might relate to, where I said, I think I'm as smart as anyone in that room. I could do this. And uh, so just rolling up your sleeves and getting involved. Um, I do think uh, being very involved in the community is really important mm-hmm. in yeah. um, pursuit of uh, political office. You, you need to have your fingers on the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. And uh, listening is a really key trait.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. I love this quote about listening, that we're born with two ears and one mouth. And we should use them proportionately.
1: Yes.
0: To me, that's how you learn the most mm-hmm. by far and away. So my last question for you, uh Senator, you may wonder why this program is called Never Stand Still. So um I'm a uh I do martial arts mm-hmm. um and I spar almost every morning. And my instructor always teaches me a hard lesson, which is never stand still, because if you stand still, he's gonna hit me. So And he does. (laughs) And so I learn it every morning the hard way. But I think it's a great lesson. I try to apply it in business as well. Are there places in your life or your career where you've been hit and, you know, and we all get hit, we all fall down, it's always painful, and and yet somehow we need to get up uh, all the time? Can you give some advice and counsel, um, maybe drawing from your own experiences on how somebody can move forward even when faced with challenges and adversity? Uh, Absolutely.
1: Um, You know, I think about, I want to sort of use your your metaphor and your experience because I, I have a sort of contrasting view. Something that helps me continue to move forward is occasionally to be still, Mm. And present. So we're talking about moving in uh, both a physical sense and having direction and having goals. Um, But I know too many people who live their lives in their heads, worrying, thinking about something and not having the conversation, Mm -hmm. not being truly able to listen. Uh, I know that some of the hardest times in my life... Um, You know, whether uh, taking care of my grandmother when she was in her 90s and needed more help and still trying to be an effective member of Congress. Uh, We have a lot of people in the, quote, sandwich generation with young children and aging parents and also trying to rise in that moment in their careers. How can anyone juggle all of that? Um, Or, you know, the struggles that my mother had. Um, throughout my life with mental illness and um, issues of addiction, that a family member is, all loved ones are drawn in and a yeah. part of that. Um, even though we have limited powers to fix, we have unlimited powers to worry. Yeah. Uh, and point. so yeah. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that um, whether it's a a quiet hike Uh, or whatever you find to just center yourself and say, you know, we're going to make it through and keep that eye on the goals, what you're trying to achieve, who you're trying to involve and organize in that. Um, and don't get too distracted, uh, whether it's the personal distractions or the big distractions. We're in a time like that right now yeah. Yeah. where it's so easy to get off a central focus of how do I do good? How do I keep
0: these goals? How do I listen? Yeah. Senator Baldwin, thank you so much for being on the show. That was a great advice and counsel and uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Thank you.